Our 40 days are off to a good start. Uh, on Wednesday night, we're going through this uh, 40-day devotional guide. And so this Wednesday night, we'll take the seven devotions that we read since last Wednesday. And uh, we'll discuss them and ask, let individuals say what God said to their heart as we read these together and prayed these together. And it'll be a wonderful time. So if you didn't get the book, we have uh, plenty on the table back there. They're $5. If you don't have $5, you take it as our gift to you. But I encourage you, uh, just let's just uh, read this and then we'll just pray together and, and God will teach us about prayer. I, I got to share this with you. Uh, one of the devotions that we discussed Wednesday night was praying for divine appointments as we go about our daily life that we look for just divine appointments that no explanation, but God brought this person into our path to minister to. On Wednesday night, I went to the grocery store up at uh, Publix and, um, and I always run into people in the grocery store. So that's nothing unusual. And I talk with them, but this guy came by and, um, I recognized his face, but he worked for years down at American Carpets, and um, he'd been traveling later lately. And I asked him, and we began to talk, and um, he said, you know, I don't even know why I'm in here. <laughs> and then he told me, he said, I came in here to get some of them little white donuts. I mean, it's just wild. He said, I don't even know why I'm in here, but I know why he was in it, because his wife it has lymphoma cancer. And she's over in a rehabilitation center. And so right there I said, man, God brought you in here. And we're going to pray. And we had a prayer meeting right there in the aisles of public. That was it for him to say, I don't even know why I came in here. But the big one is this. You're not going to believe this. You know, I, I come up here every Wednesday for staff meeting. And then I come through every now and then, but I don't stay at the office all the time, you know. And, but Friday, I, I, I needed to do something, and I wanted to do it at home, but I couldn't get it to work. I just couldn't get it to work. And I tried for 30 minutes to get it work. I said, well, it's not going to work. I've got to go to the church and get it done. Well, I pull up around the side, and about 10 minutes before, a truck had pulled up over there. And this guy gets out and said, well, this is it. I knew, I, I was expecting to see you here. I was expecting to meet you. I said to myself, well, boy. And he handed me an envelope. No name on it, nothing. And I said, yeah, I remember seeing you Sunday. You came down to the altar and prayed. He said, yeah. But the chances of me being there were one in a million at that time. He had just come in. You know what was in the envelope? $820.07. You say, Brother Fred, you keep it? No, I didn't. <laughs> I just kept half. I did not. I did not. So I gave, took it and I said, went in there and gave it to Mark. Now look, that was for him to know that he had heard from God. And it was for me to know 
that the reason I couldn't get it work at home was because God wanted me to come up here. That's called a divine appointment, y'all. And you'll have them every day. God will put people in your life, and you'll have an opportunity to speak to them and encourage them, and, 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 and they will know it is a God thing. They really will. Now, let, let me tell you kind of what we're doing. On Wednesday nights, we're going through this and, and, and asking God to teach us uh, about prayer. And then on, uh, on mon on, from Monday to Friday, Monday through Friday, I'm going to be here from 6.15 to 7.15 to pray. And if you want to come and pray with me, uh, we had a, I didn't get to pray till Thursday and Friday because I was out of town the first of the week, but we had a good group to pray. So we praying every morning uh, from 6.15 to 7.15. So I encourage you to come and pray with us if you'd like. We had a great prayer meeting uh, Friday night. We met here to pray at 7 and prayed to 8.30. Prayed over every seat. Prayed over the seat you're sitting in. And had a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time of prayer. And uh, also, we're asking people to take a place on that Warriors on the Wall. You've seen that, that video or that picture that we put up there. And wherever you see a brick, that means that hour is taken for Warriors on the Wall. But where you see a white place, that means that somebody needs to take that hour. And we're praying that we'll have uh, almost every hour filled. Uh, so where you pray at home, you have a prayer list that we send to you. So uh, we, we believe that God is um, uh, working with us in this time of uh, these 40 days of prayer. And we believe God's going to change us. I'm, I'm going to talk to you about two things this morning. Where do you get the confidence to pray? Where do you get the confidence to pray? Because the devil is a liar. He's the accuser of the brethren. He says, well, who are you to pray? I mean, you're not, I mean, you're talking about holy God. He's holy, holy, holy. And you know your life, you're not perfect. So what, what authority do you pray with? I mean, where do you get the confidence to talk to the God who created this universe out of nothing and know that he's listening and that he's your father and he cares about you? Well, where do you get the confidence to pray? But then I want to talk to you about what hinders our prayer life. What hinders us? Why don't we get the answers that we pray for? What is it that hinders God from demonstrating his power in so many areas of our life? You know, praying with confidence. Now let me tell you where we get our confidence to pray. Stay with me. Christ, Jesus Christ, by his sacrifice on the cross, by his resurrection from the dead, his ascension into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, he opens wide the doors of heaven for us to pray. It's not because we're worthy. It's not because of our righteousness. But Jesus, through his sacrifice on the cross, through his resurrection from the dead, for his ascension to the place of power and authority. And he opened the doors because he gave us his righteousness. And the doors of heaven are open for you to pray because of the finished work of Christ. So we never approach God in our own, in our own righteousness. We never approach God 
in our own worthiness. We approach God simply on the merit of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us. I want to give you some verses that show you how it's all based on the mercy, on the finished work of Christ. The first verse I want to give you, and it should be on the screen, is Hebrews 9, 24. You say, Brother Fred, how can I pray with confidence? Well, look at it. It says, for Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Wait a minute, wait a minute. It says Jesus has gone into heaven itself to appear in the presence of God for you and for me. And so when we pray, he's in the presence of the Father. He's appeared in the presence of God for us. And we can pray. Man, when I first discovered that verse, it gave me such a renewed confidence to call on God because Jesus is there in the presence of the Father. Uh, uh, He's appeared there for us. There's another verse, Hebrews 4.14. I want you to listen to this. This is where you get confidence in praying. Hebrews 4.14. Listen to what it says. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, if you are a child of God, Jesus is your great high priest. He is your great high priest who intercedes and represents you to God. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, a son of God. Let's hold fast our confession. Let's don't get discouraged. Let's don't give up. Jesus is our great high priest and he's passed through the heavens with victory. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He says, listen, you don't have to be perfect to pray. Jesus knows your weaknesses. You just have to be forgiven. You just have to have a heart, clean hands and a pure heart. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but in all points was tempted like we are. And then he says it. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Oh, he said, because Jesus, our great high priest, has passed through the heavens, we can come with boldness. I mean confidence. I mean confidence to the throne of grace to obtain God's mercy. And we need his mercy. And to find his grace in time of need. Listen, man, I'm telling you, we have confidence in prayer because of Jesus, our great high priest. Then there's another scripture that shows where we get our confidence from. It's Hebrews chapter 10. And it starts over in verse 19. Now listen to this. It's on the screen. Therefore, brethren, having boldness. You mean, you, brother Fred, I can boldly and confidently cry out to God? Yes. I mean, that's it. It's because of Christ. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by our good works, that is not what it says. Because we did everything right, that's not what it says. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood 
of Jesus. And it goes on and says, By a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith. Our hearts have been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he faithful his promise. Let me tell you something. Nothing disturbs the devil as much as when a Christian knows that through Jesus Christ, he can go into the very presence of holy God, into the throne room. He can go there. And it says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. And, and I'm just telling you, see, the devil knows the power of prayer. The problem is so many Christians don't know the power of prayer. And so we've got to understand through Jesus, we can go with confidence into the presence of God and cry out to him with whatever the spirit of God has laid on our hearts. But you know, it's not only the finished work of Christ, but it's the promise of Jesus. It's the promise of Jesus. In John 16, verses 23 and 24, you're going to love this. Th th this is where I get the confidence to pray. I, I mean, it, it's right here. And John 16, verse 23 and 24. In that day, now listen to what Jesus said. In that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, I will give it to you. Oh, our confidence in praying is in the name of Jesus. All he is, who he is, all he's done. We pray in keeping with and in surrender to Jesus. He says, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Listen to what he says. Ask in my name and you receive that your joy may be full. What a promise. Jesus said, you just ask in my name. There, there's one other verse. John 15, 16, I want you to listen to this. It's the promise of Jesus. This is where we get the confidence to pray. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and your fruit should remain, listen, that whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. So where do we get confidence to pray? The finished work of Christ, our mediator, our great high priest, appearing in the presence of God for us. He has given us his righteousness. Well, where do we get the confidence to pray? In Jesus' name. He said, whatsoever you ask, it means we're in surrender to his name. It's in keeping with his name. It will bring glory to his name. You know, uh, the best illustration of this I've ever heard about praying in Jesus' name how it gives us authority. Ron Dunn, a great man of God who's with Jesus now, told this story, and if you ever heard it, you've never forgot it, because I sure hadn't. He said he took his sons to the fair, and they were riding all the rides, you know, and he um, would, would go up to the ticket booth and buy a ticket for each ride, like the Ferris wheel or the 
thing that you go around and makes you sick. You know, he, he would go and get a ticket for, for each one of those rides. It, it occurred to him, well, why don't I just buy a roll of tickets? And I won't have to go and I'll just have a roll of tickets. And when we, my son gets ready, my two sons get ready to ride the ride, I'll give them a ticket and they can get on that ride. So he started doing that. So he'd stand there where the entrance to the ride was. One son would come up, he'd give him a ticket. His other son would come up, he'd give him a ticket. Well, about the third ride, uh, his son came up, he gave him a ticket. His other son came up, he gave him a ticket. And then the third boy walked up and said, where's my ticket? And Ron Dunn said, I don't know you. Why should I give you a ticket? Your son told me you would. Oh, I get it. Whatsoever you ask, Father, the Father says, well, why should I answer your prayer? Oh, your son told me you would. Friend, God honors his son. Now, so we got confidence to pray. It's the most powerful thing in the world. But now what hinders us in praying? Now, now what hinders? I mean, I'm just going to give you five verses. I'm just going to just give you the verses that talk about what hinders us in praying. That what, what hinders us? The first one is found in James 4.3. And that is this. What hinders our prayer life? Why, why is it that we can pray and we, we, we believe it's God's will and, and we pray with confidence, but nothing seems to happen? There seems to be no answer. There seems to be no power in our prayers. Well, what, what could be hindering us from praying? Number one is if we pray with the wrong motive. Look at the verse on the screen. You ask and do not receive. Well, why? Because you ask improperly that you may spend it on your pleasures. You know, you know what hinders our prayers? It's when we pray with the wrong motive. James said, you ask and you do not receive because your motive's not pure. You're not praying with a pure motive. There's a selfish motive. There's a motive that is not in keeping with the character of God. And that can happen. I mean, you know, there's so many ways. Let me show you. Now, you could misunderstand this, but you won't. So we can pray for our children to get saved and get right with God so we won't have so much trouble with them. That's not it. Listen, we need to pray for them to get saved because they're in rebellion against God. They're sinning against holy God. And if they die without Christ, they're going to an eternity in hell. I, I'm not going to pray for my children to get right with God just so they'll behave and I'll be proud of them. That's not it. Man, they are lost. And so we cry out to God. They're in rebellion against you. They're bringing reproach upon your son. And I cry out from the depths of my being. That Lord you'd save them for your glory. There are a lot of ladies that pray that their husbands would get saved. So they'll be nice to them. I mean I want them to be nice to you. But that's not the right motive. You, they need to get saved because they're living a wicked life and they're rebellious against God and they're ungodly. And we need to say, I, I, it breaks my heart that they're sinning against a holy God and you want them to be saved so that they can bring honor and glory to God. 
You know, uh, our motives need to be pure. What is the supreme motive for praying? You remember this, if you don't remember anything else. The supreme motive for prayer is for God to be answered, for God to be glorified in the answer to the prayer. The supreme motive for the prayer is for God to be glorified in the answer to the prayer. That's it. And, and you know, over in the, in the Word of God, it talks about it. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says, Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Lord, I want you to save my son or my daughter or my neighbor for your glory, Lord. I want you to get great glory. Great glory, Lord. I want to be glorified in the answer to this prayer. You, you know what Jesus talked when he taught his disciples to pray? The first thing he said was, Hall, uh, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He was saying, Lord, glorify your name in the answer to this prayer. You are praying on holy ground when the motive for your prayer is for God to be glorified in the answer to your prayer. We don't pray with selfish motives or selfish reasons. Here's the second thing that hinders our prayer life. Sin in our heart hinders our prayer life. Of course, that's a great verse. It's a sobering verse. It's a sobering verse. But if you've got sin in your life that you have not dealt with, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Boy, I tell you, this is a sobering verse. Listen to what it says. The Israelites were saying, well, God doesn't answer prayer anymore. God doesn't answer prayer. But Isaiah said to them in verse uh, 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. His ear is not heavy that he cannot hear. In other words, God still is in the saving business and God is still in the hearing business. His hand is not shortened that it cannot save. His ear is not heavy that he cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you and he will not hear. Your sins have hidden his face from you and he will not hear. Now, let me tell you what that is. If I get down to pray or if I'm praying, and there's no power in my prayers. I don't ever seem to see God do anything. The first thing we need to say to the Lord is this. I believe it's your will, Lord. But for some reason, I'm not seeing your power manifested through my prayers. So what I want you to do, Lord, is I want you to search me and know me. See if there's anything in me that's quenching the Holy Spirit. See if there's anything in me that's grieving the Holy Spirit. And I will repent. You see, one thing Miss Bertha made so much emphasis on was that you've got to be on praying ground. And so she said, now you don't, you don't even come in here to pray until you've got your sins confessed. You, 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 when you come in here to pray, you need to know that as far as you know, your heart is right with God. There's no sin that you're holding on to, no iniquity that you're regarding. You need to get on praying ground. And, and you're not on praying ground 
if there's uh, unconfessed sin in your life. She told the story. Dr. Culpepper was the key missionary in China where they had that great revival, the Shantung Revival, where literally millions of Chinese were swept into the kingdom of God. But Dr. Culpepper had a serious problem with his eyes, and he was going to have to go back to the States. And I'm telling you, they knew how vital this man of God was to what God was doing in China. So they decided to have a prayer meeting and pray for his healing. So they were in line and they were going to pray for his healing. And Miss Bertha said she was in line and she was going to pray for his healing. And, and she got close to time to pray for him. God spoke to her and said, uh, don't you pray for him. She said, you know that you have a bad attitude toward that missionary. You know how you, got in your, what, how you feel in your heart about her. Now you get that right before, don't you dare pray to him, for him, till you get that right. So Miss Bertha, she backed out, she didn't pray, she got it right, and then they prayed, and of course I don't have to tell you that God miraculously healed Dr. Culpepper's eyes. He never had to leave. And the great Shantung revival. What if Miss Bertha had prayed with that in her heart? See, let me tell you something. It hinders our prayers when we pray with any sin in our life at all. Here's the third thing that hinders our prayers. See, we got confidence to pray, and God answers prayer. It's not only when we pray with the wrong motive or sin in our heart. If we have an idol in our heart, an idol, you say, well, Brother Fred, I ain't got any idols. I ain't got any little statues in my house that I burn incense to and, and all that stuff. Well, I want you to look in Ezekiel chapter 14. And it talks about the, the elders came to Ezekiel to pray for him. And, you, you know, he was excited about that because he had been praying for them. But now let me read it. I'm going to begin in verse 1. See, see, you've got idols in your heart. You can't pray with power. Now, some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me, Ezekiel said. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and put them and put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Should I myself be inquired at all by them? God said, don't pray for them. Ezekiel, I know you've been wanting them to come, but don't pray for them. They got idols in their heart. And don't inquire of me about them till they deal with the idols in their heart. You know, um, you, can, you, don't, you don't have to have an idol of stone. But you know, anything, an idol is anything that uh, you put before God. An idol is anything that's more important to you than God is. You know, that, that, listen, thou shalt have no other gods before me. But yet, there are things that, are more, that, that we feel, think more of. And if we have to choose between that and God, we choose that instead of God. You know, Maxie Jarman was a great shoe manufacturer. And George Truitt, who was pastor of a church in Dallas, 
wondered what the secret was. Jarman was a great Christian. So he went to see him, and when he went into his office, he said, Maxie Jarman, he said, uh, you're a great success, you're very successful. Jarman shoes are known perhaps all over the world. He said, what, what is the key to your success? And Maxie Jarman said, did you not see what was written on that piece of cardboard on the wall that I put a frame in? And Truett looked at it and said, oh, I see it. God first, family second, shoes third. He had it right. It wasn't shoes first, family second, and God third. See, you've got to get it right. Anything that you love or put more value on than God, that is your idol. He said, you shall have no other gods before me. You know, I was in the midst of making, uh, I, I had a, a, a crisis of decision that I was facing. A crisis of decision that would determine the direction of my life for the rest of my life. And about two years before, a lady had given me a little wooden plaque. And uh, I had put it up in my study where I could see it. It's a shame I didn't read it, you know. Because as I was struggling with this crisis of decision, you, you know what that thing said? It says idolatry is to trust people, possessions, our position to do for you only what God can do. And God said, uh, are you trusting in people? Our position, our possessions, are you trusting in me? And it went straight to my heart. And look, when you trust in people, position, our possessions to do for you what only God can do, that's idolatry. It's idolatry. And man, if we've got idols in our heart, we, God, God cannot answer our prayers. There's a couple more. An unforgiving spirit. I want you to look at Mark 11, uh, 24. Mark 11, 24. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you will receive them and have them. And then in verse 25, Boy, he goes on and says, whenever you stand praying, now look at this, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. Now he just said, whatever you ask the Father, believing you'll have it. But he said, I mean, when you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. That your Father also may forgive your trespasses. Listen, don't expect God to answer your prayers if you have an unforgiving spirit. No, that absolutely shuts the windows of heaven. You have to deal with unforgiveness. You have to deal with it. You know, you, you cannot uh, have power in prayer if, it was, um, if there's unforgiveness in your heart. You know, I, I've told you how many times, it's really hard to forgive. It really is hard to forgive. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit can you forgive people. I remember when I was at Cottage Hill, a man that I really loved and trusted, um, 
He no longer lives in Mobile, so you would not know who it is. And, well, he just did something that greatly offended me. It greatly offended me. And I'll be very frank with you. I mean, I had some unforgiveness in my heart because it just was uncalled for. And, uh, you know, the first person I'd see when I got to church was him. whole time I was preaching, all I saw was him. It took me six weeks to get that unforgiveness out of my heart. I'd get on my knees in, in my study, and I'd cry out to God, Lord, you know, you know I don't like these feelings I have for this man, and I'm pleading with you, God, to remove this unforgiveness in my heart, this lack of trust, God. And I mean, he did. But I guarantee you it was hard because I had felt betrayed. That's irrelevant. Jesus was betrayed. I'm to walk in forgiveness. But it, it took a while for me to get there. But I made a choice. And finally, I got there. And he became one of my best friends. In fact, when I went to somewhere to visit, he'd moved to, to, to another town. And I spent the night with him. And that's God. I could have never done it if I hadn't got that. Listen, when you get down to pray and you know you've got unforgiveness in your heart, just stop. Get it right with God and then pray. And God will hear. And God will answer his prayers. Well, there's only two more. You say praise the Lord. But here you go. All right, now this is going to get you. You know what? We, we hinder our prayers when we pray with the wrong motive, we hinder our prayer when there's sin in our life. We, print, we uh, hinder our prayers when there are idols in our heart. We hinder our prayers when we have an unforgiveness, unforgiving spirit. And we hinder our prayers when we're stingy, just stingy in our giving. Just stingy. You know? You know what Proverbs 21, 13 says? I want you to look at this. It says, whoever shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. Now, wait a minute. He said, if you shut your ears to the cry of the poor, you'll cry yourself and you won't be heard. Now, we know that the Bible says that a man's to work, and if he doesn't work, he's not to eat. I'm not talking about enable people to be lazy and not use the gifts. I mean, that, what we call deadbeats, I'm not talking about that. But I'm telling you, when God brings into your life somebody that's poor, and they're, they're not poor because of laziness or irresponsibility, and you see them and you shut your ears to their cry, God says, you just shut my ears. Stinginess in giving, stinginess will always hinder your prayer life. I love the verse in Luke 6, 38. Listen to this. Give and it will be given to you. Now look at this. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, it will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure you use, the same way you give, it will be given back to you. In other words, with the same heart that we give to the poor. It's the same heart that God gives back to us. Well, there's another one. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. 
It, it talks about he that sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. I want to tell you one thing. We, 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 we're not going to be stingy as a church. When we hear the cry of the poor, I guarantee you we're going to listen to that cry. And we're going to answer that cry. Because I'm telling you, when God told Paul to go preach, he said, and wherever you go, remember the poor. And so we at Luke 4.18, have, we, we are very, very, very sensitive to the poor that God brings to cross our path. Because we know that they have a special place in the heart of God. Of course, you know that three-fourths of the world goes to bed hungry every night. Three-fourths of the world. But you know, there are a lot of people in, in Mobile. And we have people, I didn't even ask them to do it. I didn't, they, they're constantly taking food to people. We have food on a table back there that you can take if you need it. It's yours. If you know somebody that needs it, all you've got to do is take it and take it to them. It'll be there every, every Sunday where you can just take food. But let me just say this. The Bible says let's don't love in our words. And with our tongue, let's love in deed and in truth. Well, here's the last thing. Stinginess and giving, now that'll hinder your prayer life. Well, you're going to say, you should have stopped right there, Brother Fred. The wrong treatment of your husband or your wife. Did you know the Bible says that if, we don't, if we're not right with our husband or wife, that we can't, God's not going to hear our prayers? Did you know that? You say, "Woo, I'm in deep trouble. All right, look at it. It's over in uh, 1 Peter 3, 7. Now, listen at this. I mean, this is one of the hardest verses. Husbands, likewise, dwell with your wife with understanding. Now, that's a hard statement. Which one, Lord, got up this morning? How am I going to understand her? You've been living with your wife 25 years and you ain't figured her out yet. You've been living with your husband and you ain't figured him out for 25 years. Only God can give us understanding. You understand? It says, husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to your wife as the weaker vessel. It's talking about physically. It's not talking about mentally. It's not talking about emotionally. It's not talking about spiritually. It's obvious that a wife is not as strong. A woman is not as strong as a man. She can't lift and do the laborious work that men do. You know, so when he says give honor to her as the weaker vessel, it means that her physical limitations. But it says, husbands likewise dwell with, with, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to your wife as the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. The way you treat your wife, that determines the way your prayers are going to be answered. The way you treat your husband, that's going to determine the way your prayers are answered. It says that. It says that. Honor each other, treat each other right, so that your prayers won't be hindered. Now look, I'm telling you, we got to know that our married life is right. You know, there are no perfect husbands, you know that. 
And the one lady raised her hand and said, oh, yes, it was. No, say, what was it? No perfect husband. One lady raised her hand and said, oh, yes, it was. My first husband. This last one's no good, but my first husband was perfect. (laughs) Hey, if we ever realize how much we need Jesus, it's when we live with people 24-7. We see each other at our best and our worst. We see each other when we're all dressed up. And we see each other when it's a sore for sight eyes. I mean, you know, it's. But I'm going to tell you something. The answer to your prayers depends on the way you work in your married life. Your relationship, the way you treat your wife. And the way you treat your husband. That, if it's not right, it'll hinder you when you pray. Well, we have confidence in praying. But there are things that will hinder us in our prayer life. And we need to not let them have any place whatsoever in our heart. So that God will hear our prayers and answer with power.